Do you work in employment services? The Wayfinders is a podcast where we help you help people. Hosted by Bounce Australia founder, Maria Smith. Each month, we chat with people who have had their own wayfinding experience and get their valuable employment insights, advice, and tips. Welcome to the Wayfinders podcast. Potential lives here. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's Wayfinders podcast. Uh, I am so deeply inspired by who we get to speak to today and hear from. And uh, Michael Upson is actually a certified bounce trainer in the USA. Um, And Michael uh, went through our intensive train the trainer process, and he's also been part of some of our um, professional development that we do as part of our whole profession, uh, our whole licensing with our bounce uh, program and the train the trainer model. And um, Michael, from the moment I met Michael, I was just like, wow, this guy has got an energy, a vitality, um, a real presence that he brings to his world and that he brings to the work that we do. Um, and I really felt um, like one of the things we talked about um, at Wayfinders at Bounce is about let's start talking to our trainers and and hear about their journey and so Michael's actually the first cab off the rank because I think his journey is really important to the conversations we're having Um, and for me this is a conversation I wanted to have um, Michael around you know the Black Lives Matter everything that's happened um, in the world, everything that is happening. And for me, I wanted to bring some light into a conversation that some of our listeners may not have had, may not have thought of. Um, A lot of our listeners are in Australia. And so some relate to this conversation and some don't. But the most important thing is I wanted to bring you into this conversation, Michael. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Maria. Thank you very much. I am flattered and honoured to be on this uh, podcast with you, um, as I was listening to you talk about me and, and your experience in meeting me, um, I I was getting goosebumps, and then I started to think, I want to meet that guy too. He sounds. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel like I'm him uh, sometimes. I know it's, but you know what? That's just being human, isn't it? Like sometimes right. the way people see us and experience us, uh, we we can forget that. So, um, Michael, I would actually love a little bit of background on um, just your journey in terms of, you know, where you are today um, and your life journey, because I think it's a really powerful, you shared some things with me recently and I was like, wow, this is a podcast, this is amazing and people need to hear the story um, and, you know, significant story in your history, in your, um, in your experiences, in your family history. I think there's some really powerful pieces here. So, I suppose what I'd love to do is just start with a little bit more about you so people, our listeners can really get engaged with that. All right. So, um, yeah, I, uh, you know, I could talk about me all day long because it's been, it's been a ride and, and not from a, a place of, 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 of uh, uh, cockiness or, or, or an egocentric manner. Um, because when I look back on it, uh, I'm more grateful than anything to be where I'm at today. I, I, I think that uh, my journey is, I, I, I think I was chosen to be on the journey that I'm on and to have the past that I, the, the past that I have, to live the life that I've lived. Um, 
because I believe that I'm supposed to be a testimony to, to people that may have some of the same issues that I have or might be going through some of the same um, situations that I've gone through. Um, so when I, when I say that, I, I honestly don't know where to begin because I, I can tell you from, from the gate, um, I truly thought at a very young age that I was um, not worth much, you know, from mm -hmm. a very young age. Um, so when I think about my journey, I, I was really um, honed in at a very young age. Um, I, I think I might have been too serious, you know. Um, I think I might have been too too serious about my future mm. at, at like the age of six. So I think my journey started pretty young, um, thinking about why is the world this way and why is and why are these things happening to me? Wow. Um, I, I felt like I was missing out on something. Really yeah, did. and I'm I'm so curious about the like. What do you think were the significant events for you in your childhood that really defined a lot of the way you chose to do life and also the way you choose to do life now? Like if there well, were significant events that stand out for you. Well, what, one of the, the, the most significant events is, was living in Massachusetts, my, my mother moving her family, you know, her, her three kids to Massachusetts. Uh, I was born in Queens, New York. My mother's from Brooklyn. My father's from Queens, um, generations uh, of families on both sides, I think three, three generations um, on both sides of my family um, are, are from New York, basically Queens and Brooklyn. And um, uh, South Jamaica, Queens is much different than, than uh, Leo Minster, Massachusetts. And, and I pronounce it that way. I pronounce it that way because every time I say it um, to someone who's from New England, they always get a kick because it's pronounced Lemonster, but it's, it's yeah. spelled Leo Minster. And that's yeah. what we... You know, and that's what I, I called it when I got here. Um, yeah. So um, it's it started there, right? Um, it, it was traumatic to be away from family. You know, I, I come from a decent sized family, um, aunts and uncles and, and lots of cousins, um, lots of love, uh, family parties. And and, and, um, and it went from that to living in, in a three bedroom apartment, sharing a room with my older brother. Um, and um, it was traumatic in the cultural. It, it was really the, the, the cultural difference. Um, being one of only uh, one of only um, I think seven black kids in my school, uh, and, and I still use the word black because um, I, I think I was just on the cuffs of going from uh, Negro to black, and then by the time I was um, in my early you know late twenties, uh, this ter the term African American um, came into play. So uh, I, I still say black. Um, can I, can I actually like ask you a question about that? Because yeah. I, I, I actually want to ask a question about that. It's something that yeah. I was living in the US and um, there are a couple of guys I worked with that were black and it was mm -hmm. right around the point of it being sort of transferred to the, the you know, African-American and black. And I said to these guys like, oh, how, what do you want me to say? What, sh how should I be referring to you? Like that, I was, mm. I was coming, you know, I'm from a small country town in Australia and this was in Seattle and one of the guys was like, I'm black. You're going to call me black. Yeah. And I was like, okay, but I need to know like what's, what's correct. And he goes, I'm letting you know what's correct for me. And I was like, oh, right. I got it. And it was a really big, it was in my twenties. And I was like, oh, I didn't want to make a generalized sense, but it's actually this sort of, I, and so I'm curious about that, that, you know, when you say that you're, when you think of that, if, if I describe you as African-American or black, like, what does that mean to you? Well, I, I can tell you this much. Um, I never thought much about it um, when, 
when it, I don't think much about it when it happens. You know, when the change was there, I was like, this is weird because I, I don't identify with anything from Africa at all, mm, right? Um, yeah. Uh, so I thought it was, I, I thought it was something strange, but the, the really odd thing about it now that I look back on it is the acceptance around um, America telling me who I am and telling me who my people wow. are. Okay. Like the, I, yeah. Identifying with what you know with what the television says and in what you know general society thinks and says um so i guess i, I guess i'm african-american now even though i don't know anybody from africa um, yeah wow that's really it's <laughs> yeah. really interesting because i i want to understand that um you know in the world of work of bounce for example we focus on um a lot of times where we make generalizations and how generalizations can lead to that breakdown and right. um and so understanding you know where how do we how do we create that individual you know personalized what what is michael what do you experience and what's your expectation um so it is an interesting journey isn't it unpacking this figuring it out how do we how do we lean into this um with deep respect and genuine desire to know and understand and learn um and so that's why i was curious about that piece in terms of how you identify so um, so what is so going into the world of communication, if somebody's referring to you as black, that what is that? That doesn't offend you. That's nothing. It's you don't have a relationship to that. Like, can I just understand that a little more? Well, I, I don't get offended at all. Matter of fact, I think it's it, there's a there's a, um, a weirdness about it for the person who may be white on the other end who's saying I can see that they, they're uncomfortable if they did say black now um, because the word African-American is used so much. Um, it's, it's just such a strange thing in America. I think, I, I think in this country, we've been, we've been trained to not think about the, you know, the, our, our past in such a way that was so violent and so horrible and so horrific when it pertains to slavery. So I, so I, so I think it's for, for a black man, I think it's, um, what I've experienced growing up and with other black men, you know, and women as well, it's almost like this, this secret the secret that we have that we don't really talk to anyone else about unless they're black, right? Like mm. we have, ex like we have acceptance for what's being said in the room, but then when the person who may or may not have, have offended someone, when they are out of earshot, then we start to have this little conversation, right? Can mm. you believe this guy? Did you hear what he said? Did you see him get uncomfortable? Right. It, it, it's always been, it's always seemed like it's been that way. Right. Um, and, and, and I, and I remember, I remember growing up. One of the things that that I identified with early on is that I have to get along in their world. They don't have to get along in mine. Like I, I, I remember, wow. like I have to. I remember thinking, I have to get good at this. I have to like practice at being good in their world. And, and when I say their world, I mean just really the American world, like the, or, or better, I guess, yes, a white world, right? I had because it's the it's a white culture. I mean, that's what I grew up yeah. with. You know, that's uh, huge though that that just that frame i have to work out how to work in their world like the that you had a sense of of difference and separation mm. like that i just i i hope that um you know some people listening to this can have a little moment to stop and think about that and you know this is where i kind of the whole white privilege thing is that mm -hmm. a lot of white people didn't have a context like that now in saying that we could certainly use it in relation to a clique at school or you might mm. use it in relation to the community I come from or the, 
the, uh, the, the you know, the area I lived in, there is that frame of I'm not them. And, and I can see where people put that, that sort of frame on it. But this mm. is significant because that's a big frame to kind of go, oh, I, in order to enter their world, I have to adapt and change because they're not mm-hmm. coming into mine. That's, that's incredible. As, as an American citizen born in a country, that is your country. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yes. I, I you know, I, I can remember, you know, I have a ton of memories that, that are, some of them really wild, right? But I can remember not too long ago um, uh, being with a, a, a colleague. We were, um, I think, coming back from the lake. We're out on a boat and um, I was working some some extra hours with his. He needed some help with his construction firm, basically, is what it was. So I was doing some part time work with him. We spent more time on the boat than anything. Uh, the gentleman, Brian, and I got along very well. Uh, so we're on our way back from from this boat trip, and I got a phone call from my cousin Paul. Uh, at the time, pa- Paul's in Atlanta now, but he, you know all my family's from Queens. The six of us, us, us cousins, we're pretty tight. And um, I'm I'm in I'm engaged in a conversation with Paulie, and I notice I can feel Brian's eyes on me, and I kind of look at him out of the corner of my eye, think nothing of it, and I continue with the, the conversation. I hang up the phone with Paul. Brian's quiet for a couple of seconds, so. I can feel the t- not so much tension, but I can feel his uncomfortability. So I look at him. I said, "Brian, what's up?" He was like, "He says to me, why were you talking like that?'" And I'm literally confused. I'm like, "Talking like what?" And Brian says to me, who I consider, I consider at the time a friend, right? He says, "You were talking black." <laughs> wow. <laughs> and <laughs> this wow. is like right laugh, right? Because see. I don't know if it's me. I don't know if it's the, the, how I was raised by my mother. Uh, I don't know if other people respond, other black or African-American people respond this way with kind of a chuckle, but I wasn't really offended at all. Um, I, I kind of mm-hmm. took it as, a, as, as an opportunity to, um, to educate Brian. Uh, and mind you, this just happened a couple of years ago and, I was, and, and I've been a different guy for about 10 years. <laughs> so mm-hmm. let's just say that. Yeah. Right? So this just happened a couple of years ago. I don't know if my response you know, um, 10, 15 years ago would have been the same. Yeah. And I simply, and I simply said to Brian, I, I simply, well, I wanted to know what he meant. So I says, well, what do you mean, Brian? I was talking black. You know, I am black. Um, and he says, yeah, but you're, you're not black, black is what he said. Wow. <laughs> Which gave me more of a chuckle. And I said, okay, yeah. Brian, I get it. I, I, I get what you're saying. So you, you identify, um, the, 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 my vernacular, the slang that I was using, the words I was using, you identify that with black, black, because I speak differently with you um, that I'm not black. And, and mm. he looked really confused and he almost felt like, he almost felt bad. Like, I, like he might've offended mm. me. And I, I let him off the hook. I said, Brian, I'm not offended. I get it. It's the world you live in. It's okay. Mm. And that's what I simply said. That's the world you live in. Mm. See, and, and I just broke it down to him just this simply. I said, Brian, I have my own culture. You have your culture. Your culture is American culture. Your culture is what the world, what, what this world um, puts out. You know, um, the, the, the American culture of a white man. You're a white man. White men run this world. At least this country they do, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm a black guy. So my culture is, is seen as black. It's not seen as a culture. But if I was Puerto Rican in my, or if I was Chinese and I picked up the phone and I was speaking to one of my cousins back in Shanghai or something, right? I think it's Shanghai in Japan. <laughs> anyway, if I'm seeing, yeah, no, I'm speaking, but that's okay. Right? I, fa- I, I, definitely, I definitely failed geography, right? But if I was speaking, if I was speaking to someone in another language, he wouldn't have said anything. He would have got it, right? Yeah. 
Um, and, and that's, and that's what I've, and that's literally what I've struggled with my, my entire life. I've, I've struggled with my own identity. Um, there was a time when I was younger that that would have offended me so much that I wouldn't have said anything, but I would have actually tried to change who I am to fit in. I would have wanted to fit in Brian's world and I would have been very cautious about how I would have responded. Um, not only responded, but how I would have talked to my cousin Paul on that phone call. Yeah. And, and, you know, I just have to, um, uh, I want to lean into something here because part of, I had listened to a podcast from um, Brene Brown and she had interviewed um, Ibram X. Kendi, um, Mm -hmm. who is a best-selling author and he's, it's actually, we'll, we'll add the link in for people to listen to it because it is incredible. Um, But what I, what I considered in this journey is that, um, you know, just the way you've sort of spoken about that, that you've got to enter their world, but that moment for Brian is um, he hasn't had to lean into your world, right, in that context, right? Right, right. right. And I think that one of the things Brene talks about is this whole sense of shame that white people uh, may or may not feel, but the, the sense of shame to think, the treatment of, of how black people have been treated mm-hmm. or that, that sense of going, oh, something's happened to this group of people that happened not on my watch, but um, I'm not really going to, uh, you know, deal with that. So I might, I might avoid it or have that shame take over. And, you know, she talks about shame is one of those emotions that is uncomfortable to feel and we avoid it at all cost. And so, I just, in this conversation, I, I was reflecting before this and and was, and I can even feel my heart rate going up a little bit and I can feel my sense of nervousness of how do I say this? How do I ask this? And I think I'm, I'm pretty open and um, I am a big one for equality and, but I can feel it in me. And I think about people that maybe have got a filter of, you know, very deep racism or a filter of, you know, you're not, you're not better than me because you're this or because you're that. Mm-hmm. And I think, God, I'm feeling this feeling. No wonder people tend to shut off and go in another direction or not engage in this. Let me learn about that. Like that moment for Brian was a learning moment to realize mm-hmm. if he actually was going to enter your world, he'd go, oh, of course you're going to talk like that to your family because that's what you do. That's and right. to have that's that right. filter of going, hey, you were talking black. Whereas you know, if he's overhearing maybe one of his friends that talks to college friends and their co- mm-hmm. friends they went to college with, they probably speak very differently to whether they talk to their wife and her friends. Like we, mm-hmm. we do that, but we don't suddenly go, you're talking like a college guy, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So we're, I'm, I'm just trying to sort of put in this place and I'm just trying to bring in this, this real authentic experience I'm having in, I want to understand more deeply how we create this cultural um, awareness and it isn't it isn't about come and be in my world but I actually want to walk in your shoes I want to walk in that world so I can understand but I will never understand I wouldn't right. because I haven't had that journey and I wanted to um I just wanted to include I can feel emotion in me and I just mm. I just really um I don't know I just really get where people who probably have very racist views because of conditioning and generalizations and maybe some experience but mostly probably not I think well no wonder they're not going to engage in the conversation because it's uncomfortable so uncomfortable uncomfortable yeah and and (laughs) that's why I thought I want to have this conversation I want to record it because I think a lot of people that 
the default white people defaulting to that white privilege way and that you know it's all lives matter i'm like whoa whoa that's actually mm. that you're not getting it like it's let's look at this very specific context that happened to allow the george floyd um issue allowed the conversation to start and i i suppose what i wanted to ask you which i think is really significant to really get some here and that is um your your journey of your family and your family history and it, and just to hear a little bit more about how that you don't relate to the african-american and the why because right. where does where does that connect for you and your connection to this this sense of the journey of where you are today especially in the context of slavery because i think that's a big piece here for me i want to get that in this conversation well i can tell you this much over the over the last 10 years of my life uh, and i keep using that round number because I, I i've put so i've fed myself so much information and i've took action and i participated in so much it seems like it's been over the last 10 years that i've had this this almost like this um this 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 you know renaissance of a of a new way to to be a a black man right um a, a new way to be michael um and and i what i want to make clear is that's across like all levels the best way to say it is mentally spiritually and physically i've i've addressed all of these things um so i could be more open-minded to receiving information um because i think it's most important to understand at the core i was afraid of everything i i don't know if that makes any sense and, and maybe we can unpack that a little bit later or or another mm -hmm. time you and i can talk about it one-on-one -on -one. but I, I I was able to figure out that I was afraid. And I, what was I afraid of? Everything. And, and what that looks like, it looks like um, identifying with, with that fear has many, has many different forms. Um, it, it, it can be quantified on many different levels and, and it manifests itself in, in many different ways, um, at least my actions to it. Um, so so why, why do I say that first? It's because I was afraid of not being liked. I was afraid of not fitting in. And I think at a very young age that took a hold of me when we got to Massachusetts because I dealt with so much racism. And because it was so prevalent, I didn't, it, it became a time, it got to a point where it was almost normal for me. And, and why was it normal? It was because well, it was what we, I'm not gonna say I, it was what we Americans were fed on television. Mm. All right, it was what we were fed, uh, the narrative, of what black is, um, or, or what is it like to be African-American? So I've had things said to me, wow, you read well. And I would say, as compared to what? I'm 20, I should read well, I'm a college student, right? Like, or, or you carry yourself so well, as compared to what, right? So these, mm -hmm. are, the, these are the things that I, the small things that I experienced out through, through, through my life. Uh, and of course, the tragic things that, I, that I've, had happened to me i don't even think you have enough time for this podcast mm -hmm. so identifying with the fact that i was afraid um then i was able to take on some some new information so i, I got to tell you this is why i'm so passionate and energized is because this is new for me it's not something that I, I i've been identifying with for example i didn't even know i didn't even know my mother's <clears throat> I, I knew my mother's name but i didn't know like my mother's family i didn't know like what the what her grandfather's last name was uh, on her mother's side, you know? Um, so these, because, you know, mom gets married and she carries a new name, right? She has a maiden name. So I didn't know my mother's mother's maiden name. I didn't know that my, my 
my great-grandfather on my mother's side was from Portugal. I had no idea that we were American Indian on, on one side of my family. I never took the time to ask these questions. Um, and one of the reasons why I never really talked about my blackness is because one of the things that was said a lot is you're playing the black card, <laughs> right? I literally heard someone say it. I literally heard someone say it the other day to another gentleman uh, that I work with. <clears throat> and there's a thin line. Uh, I, I, I volunteer. I shouldn't even say I work with. I volunteer somewhere. And the guy, you know, it's just locker room talk sometimes. And, and I don't want to be so PC that, you know, you know, where you, you're in this experience where, you know, you have to watch everything that you say. But I think it's so commonplace for white, for white males to be able to, especially white males over the age of, of like 35, Mm-hmm. to be able to speak a certain way especially white males in their 50s right mm-hmm. um and then in their 60s i'm being called uh, uh, i'm a nice colored boy right so mm-hmm. with each gen with each generation there's this there's this um there's this way of speaking about black people so when i started to do a little bit of research because now i'm thirsty i'm, I'm thirsty to change but i'm thirsty to also know who i am i'm, I'm, I'm thirsty for knowledge about the things that I was afraid to talk about and things I was afraid to face. Um, You know, as I'm getting ready to tell you, as I'm getting ready to tell you a story, I'm literally thinking about some of my crazy behavior to wanting to fit in. Mm. Even I I can, uh, so identify, identify with the eighties. I'm an eighties. Like I I, I was a teenager in the eighties. I was born in 72. So for a new, for, and my mother brought us home every other week to New York. Thank God she did because I, I was able to identify with my culture. I have a huge family. Plus, my mom wanted to go home too. She has no family here. And she, God bless her, she's 74 years old. She's still driving back and forth to New York. Matter of mm-hmm. fact, she's leaving tomorrow to go to New York, right? My mom's wow. the best. So I, I, I dressed that way. I tried to emulate that stuff because I wanted to have my own identity, but it got stomped out every time I came back to Massachusetts. And I wanted to fit in so bad that I went from like, like, um, there's this, there's this style in the 80s, which is called a B-boy style. So just to understand, it's just a way of mm-hmm. dressing, right? Like these mm-hmm. sneakers with the, yeah. with the shoelaces and the jeans and the shirt. Yeah. I went from dress, dressing this way, right? With, a, with like Run DMC concert t-shirts <laughs> to, right, to dressing with like construction boots, like Lee jeans. Wow. Like a yeah. jean jacket with an Aerosmith patch on the back. Oh, you know wow. I mean? And my hair long. <laughs> my mom is looking at me like, who are you? Oh, are you wow. drugs? Right? Yeah. Uh, that, and that's how bad I wanted to fit in. And, yeah. and um, so, so now, you know, 10 years ago, and it's not that I had never paid attention to my culture prior to that. But like I said, again, it, this is this journey that just got really, I just got knee deep in it. Um, and just being curious. And it's just knee deep in curiosity, right? Mm. Um, turning off the game basically because I'm only I'm only interested in sports turning off the game and learning something different right Mm. and come to find out right my my father's grandfather um, is um, was born a slave like he was born on a a slave plantation so my grandfather's dad like the guy that that my grandmother used to cut bananas into our frosted flakes in the morning I used to sit across from it like my grandmother's bangles cut it like and the guy who who sits across from me like he lived on a slave on a slave mm-hmm. plantation, right? That's yeah. where his dad was. Like, and and take and I, and I almost felt ashamed when I found some of this information out because I'm ashamed at not knowing enough and not caring enough and participating in in some of the behaviors that I participated in. My last name belongs to a plantation, right? Uh, I'm I'm watching I'm watching European football 
and, it's a, and it's the first time ever I've seen my name on the back of a shirt. And it's a white man running across. And it was around the time I was getting interested in these things. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, it's one of his relatives, you know, like probably moved to England, from England to, you know, the States and, you know, yep. and on the plantation, right? Yeah. It's just, yeah. That, it's just that simple. So, so um, this, these types of things that I was learning, it started, uh, they, they, made, they stirred something up in me. And a lot of it was in the beginning, anger. See, cause I, yeah. but, but here's the problem, Maria. I was angry for so long. I had nothing to do with my anger. I didn't know what to do with it. Mm. Like I couldn't break anything anymore. I couldn't fight mm. anymore. Like I've been in a lot of fights. I've been lumped up. I've done more running, by the way. I've run. Yeah. <laughs> I've done yeah. more running. Yeah. But I'm tired. Yeah. I'm tired. I'm tired. I was tired of defending myself. Um, and you know, this I've had so many pivotal moments in my life, and I, and I thank God for my faculties. Um, the ability to remember them so vividly because um, what, what ended up happening is, is during my journey and during the search, I came across this, this, this um, dissertation by, by this um, social scientist, uh, doctor, and I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. Um, um, I think her last name is DeGray, um, Jory DeGray, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and um the uh, dissertation was on, it was called post-traumatic slave syndrome. And it was talking about, she basically did all this research to, 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 to basically say in a nutshell that everyone in America and other countries, but mainly America, were all suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder due to slavery. Uh, and when I started to watch this, I, 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 this is about eight years ago when I saw this saw this I, I don't know how i came across it i, I you know and and then as i'm watching this on i think youtube or i don't know where i can't even remember where i first saw it but it's still on a link on my phone i know that i carry it with me and every time i've changed phones and every time I, I, i've carried this link because i go back to look at it because it's so profound to me to see um the depth and length i mean there's a lot of history out, out there about you know slavery and, and i've been to the slave museum in, in dc which is one of the most powerful things i've ever done um, I couldn't even get off the first floor, by the way. There's just so mm-hmm. much information. But but to see it, you know, shape the way she shaped it, 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 it gave me, it gave me empathy. It, it, as strange as it sounds, it gave me empathy. Mm-hmm. And for who? Not for me and, and the people that, and my ancestors, but for the, for the, for the people that were doing the oppression. For the oppressor. Wow. Uh, yes, it, it really did. So tell um, me about that. Tell me what, what, how did you get there? How did you get to the empathy for the oppressors? Well, I think it, I, I know it is an, uh, it comes from an accumulation uh, of experiences in my life. Yeah. I have to leave the foundation at mommy, right? My mother yeah. is, is one of the most amazing women you, you could ever meet. Um, if you meet my mom, you're just going to think she's funny and the nicest lady you'll ever meet. But you get her talking and talking about certain topics, and then you're going to realize, okay, this lady's got some depth to her, right? Um, and, and one of the things, and it sounds cliche, but one of the things my mother would always say to me is no matter what happens, you have to show love. And I'm mm. paraphrasing. I'm yeah. paraphrasing. But my mom would always tell me to love people. And I couldn't understand that because, like, I literally just got kicked in my butt, like, the day before. 
I yeah. literally just had some kid call me a racial name, right? And kids are evil. So I'm young. I'm only like in, in like third or fourth grade when she's saying this to me, right? Fifth grade maybe, right? So kids are calling me like fudgical and, and, and mulatto. And I'm like, I'm like, why am I being called all these foods? I thought mulatto was a cookie, right? Yeah. <laughs> it turns out, right? So the foundation comes from my mother. But when I, I, I saw this podcast, there was one image um, of a, of a, and this is, this image, by the way, was after um, slavery. It was during like right before the Jim Crow um, era. So we're, we're going to, you know, we're, we're still in the early, early 1900s. And it was, it is a, uh, a black man hanging from a tree. It is a lynching. And there's town folk all around the tree. And, and, and this is, and no one's masked up, by the way. This is like everyday folk you know, suits and ties and, and, and hats. And it is men and women, you know, looking at, matter of fact, what I acute, uh, equated it to was it looked like it was a, a, a Sunday hanging, like, hey, after dinner, let's go hang somebody because everyone mm-hmm. looked like they were dressed in their Sunday best. Yeah. And what struck me, what struck me so odd was the image of a little girl uh, um, standing up, stand, excuse me, staring up at this man hanging from a tree. And she had this grin on her face. Um, and I can't tell you why. It stopped right there. I mean, I don't have anything else to say about this, this photo that I saw. Other than it kicked in for me. I was like, oh, my goodness. I feel bad for them. I feel bad for her. Like, bad. I, I didn't realize it was, it was empathy. It grew into empathy. But I feel so bad that this is how you're living. Mm. Of course I feel, feel for the man hanging for the tree. But this little girl, she's being set on a path. Yeah, yeah. Right. She doesn't know any anything else. Right. Like she's Maria, watched this and yeah. I'm literally as I'm telling you this, I, I, I'm glad I'm not being recorded because my hands are all over the place. My eyes are watering up. Yeah. <laughs> right? I wish you were. I wish we could see that. That's the <laughs> part that is. Yeah. But this is the, like I look at that and think it, and it, there's nowhere this is justifiable and right. you get the point of that little girl who's sitting there watching that conditioning this is learned behavior this is okay this is what we do to people like that mm-hmm. and those those this is and this is that that um foundational piece and the history historical piece where uh you know that that little girl's uh children's children and mm-hmm. and how it plays out and how it becomes a well that's just what we do that's just how it is and how does this cycle get broken, right? So, and, and I'll drive myself crazy thinking about these things, right? How does this cycle get broken? And I, and I, I no longer want to sit idle and not be a part of it. I truly believe that that I met you and this bounce program was put in my life for a reason. And, and I don't know if I'm going to change the world. I don't know how many people I'm going to affect. And it sounds cliche, but if one person gets it, then one person gets it. Mm-hmm. If I can have one, if I can get one ally, and again, it sounds cliche, but that's just one less person causing hurt or mm-hmm. confusion. It's just one less person that has to go, that maybe doesn't have to go through some of the things that I went through, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I literally get over, I literally get overwhelmed with the thought processes behind what do we do what do we do now what do we do with this information but i know i I know in the bottom of my heart that i'm supposed to be doing something because it's powerful that Mm -hmm. image is powerful what my my actions are powerful 
and, and especially when their their actions of love and empathy because mm-hmm. if i'm if i'm if i'm running amok which i have in my life and it's another podcast right but i've already mm-hmm. alluded to it but if i'm running amok i'm 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 affecting people right but if six foot three you know african-american mike is running amok in the world that, that that put a lens on me, a different the way it's put a lens on African Americans and black people, it looks really different, right? There he, there they go again. It's not mm. Michael, it's them, right? Yeah. There yeah. they go again. Mm. And how do I know that to be true? Right? How do I how do I know that to be true? Because Maria, this is something that I was afraid to say, uh, and I even thought about it before I was going to say it right now, and I've only said it a couple of times in my life. But I used to be afraid of black people. Mm. Like I was afraid of my my own people. I'm afraid of of approaching another black man because because I've been conditioned to think differently about him versus other mm. men. Mm. Wow, yeah. Even that conditioning, and and isn't it interesting where? Um, how we how we're raised and all of that sort of conditioning you know coming from australia we no i'll speak from my point of view i didn't i grew up in a very white community and um in fact uh i don't even uh, i'm thinking about i had my my father had a deep respect for aboriginal australians and so that that's been a great thing as part of my upbringing when i went to america for the first time i was 15 and I was, um, my sister had a daycare and I was out the back with all the little kids and we were going to play hide and seek. And I did any, many, miny, mo. Now in Australia, in, I was also born in 72, a, as a kid, any, many, miny, mo, catcher. And the word that we used was the word we used, the N word. Mm-hmm. Now wow. I had, but I had no relationship to what that word meant. I didn't right. know what that word meant. I just knew that's what the rhyme was. But yeah. I had no context because you know, we didn't have, or I didn't have that in my world. It was just the conditioning of the handed downness, right? The little girl watching the lynching, it gets handed down. Unconsciously, right. generation to generation, it, my sister comes running out, Maria, Maria. I go, what? She goes, you can't say that. I said, well, don't we play this game here? She goes, uh, you can't say that. And I go, what did I say? Right. And she yeah. was horrified. And I go, I don't know what I said. What did I do wrong? And I was upset because I was in trouble. And she yeah. explained. And she said, they say tiger here. And I go, I don't understand what that, what's wrong with that word. Yeah. Now, now it's a different story because yeah. the exposure of that word and, and you know, a lot of um, my, my stepkids and my kid, you know, my son, their, their exposure to, they'll listen to rap and they listen and that language yeah. and that word, we know it. But yeah. it was a big, big piece for, I don't know what I don't know. And this is why I'm like, I want to go into these conversations. And I love that you say, I, I want to come from love and empathy. And I think so much of this is an ignorance that I didn't even realize that was offensive. I didn't even realize that was the thing. And not to make people wrong, but to actually let's get into this conversation. Yeah. Let's get uncomfortable. Let's be okay that we're going to swim in a bit of this uncomfortableness. And let's then choose to get unstuck from that. And, and that's the piece that for me, I've had such a curiosity of other cultures and other ways of, of living. And 
and more the curiosity of the differences that I want to know about to understand mm -hmm. and, yeah. and not a separation of, of, oh, I'm different to you, but as a, oh, there's a difference. Let me understand and learn and deeply respect that and walk in your shoes. And I do believe what you're saying is that it is a love and empathy strategy and it isn't a make wrong. And I think the uproar of Black Lives Matter in the US so much for so many white people is like, oh, you're taking away the conditioned responses that I only know this, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't know what I don't know, but geez, it's comfortable. Don't make it any more uncomfortable. Why are we talking about this is what, is what, I, is what I hear. Mm, right. Yeah. I'm sorry. Continue. I, I, you just no, made me think you, about that, right? No, Michael, you're spot on. Like it is. Why are we talking about what? what what's the problem here? I'm not slavery racist. I've got black friends. Yeah, slavery's been around for four hundred years. Got black what's friends? wrong with like, it? Yeah. It, but it's actually, it's, it's actually. Let's have these conversations so we can go. What do I? How do I use it? I actually have a question for you. Mm -hmm. I want to understand, and this is one of those, like, I need to, I need to get my head into this one. And I, and I hopefully some of our listeners are, have got this one. And I've talked to a couple of people around this. And that is the use of the N-word that mm -hmm. it, it clearly isn't. And I don't, it, it is not a, it, after that experience, like, don't even go there. Don't even, and if <laughs> I hear someone use it, I'm like, uh, you, yeah, can you, yeah, yeah. I actually get quite, because I've got a, a lived experience. And my sister's white, but it was just her whole, like, do not do that. <laughs> but what I think is interesting is that um, I have, uh, you know, when you look at TikTok and you look at, you know, a lot of the conversations that, you know, teenagers, early 20s, and that mm -hmm. they'll drop white, white kids, young people <laughs> dropping in the N-word mm -hmm. because of the influence of rappers and everything. So give me some context around how does that work? Uh, well, I, I got to tell you, I, I didn't know for a while either. I was a little confused myself. Um, I, I grew up in, the, in literally the golden era of hip hop. Uh, we didn't even, it wasn't even called hip hop. I remember when it was called hip hop. I wasn't even sure if I liked it. It was called rap music. And, and, and literally like L.O. Cool J like lived in my doubt, like several blocks away. Like wow, very prominent rapper. Cool. Like, <laughs> oh God, I yeah. awesome. I got an awesome story about L.O. Cool J. Oh, uh, that's tanker. awesome. Yeah. But I, I, but I did get kicked out of his house. So, oh, um, oh wow! The, <laughs> it ended with me being exited off the property with a bouncer who had me by like six inches, and I'm like I said, I'm six three. But anyway, so um, in like in like Q-tip in the tribe called Quest, I'd see him on the bus. He, I'm on 230th Street in London Boulevard. They're on 226th Street. Like no. this is this is like Queens rappers and like and what was going on. I'm from that golden era of hip hop where we were talking about it was being talked what was being talked about was having fun and being and being oppressed like these are things like if you go back and listen to this music it's you hear the same things you hear today it's just with a little bit more respect like plus i'm not saying that kids don't respect their parents it's just i'm just confused as you are of how it evolved into this you know n-word every two seconds and you know because it was there it was it was it was there in in the music it was only just used really to hammer home a point I mean, mm. you know, you know, you know, um, the 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 uh, the way women are talked about in, in, in music, it happened. It just wasn't so prevalent, and and 
I just would start to cringe. It's like, oh, it's like this like dirty little secret when you would hear the N word or you hear someone talk about a woman. It was kind of like, eh, you know, I kind of like it, but I don't really want. I'm not gonna play it too loud. Yeah, okay. Right? And I'm not, and I'm not sure if I like it, and I'm, I'm not gonna listen. I'm not gonna play it at all. And it just evolved into this thing where I, you know, I, I can tell you personally, I still listen to a lot of, a lot of hip hop and rap music, and I'm listening to still mostly old things. And and some, and some rappers that came out when I was a kid, they still, still put music out. I, I need you to understand that the answer is coming from 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 somebody who's from a different generation. So my answer mm, might be different okay. from someone else, yeah. right? Because I I know what my dad's answer will be, and and I've heard the the answers of younger men because I've asked them, right? So for me, one thing with with the music, especially around the music, when I hear it coming out of people's mouths, no matter what color they are, I know now and I identify it with the generation of the music. It's evolved, and however it evolved to what it has evolved to, I I don't know how it got there. Um, we can all blame it on like something, right? Mm. And, and for and for me, I don't really even listen to the lyrics half the time because I know if I listen to the lyrics, I'm usually mortified uh, when I when it is on. But I do know one thing is I've had to practice a tremendous amount of acceptance around this um, because I don't re- I don't care for it. I'm not you know I'm not, I'm not going to judge anyone for doing it, but I don't care for it. And I have had the experience of not only hearing. Um, the younger generation, white kids or white men, young men, you know, in their twenties or younger, um, using the word, whether they're saying the lyrics of a song or as they're talking to one of their friends, because it's part of their dialect. And it's just the way they speak to each other now. And I remember the first time I was so confused, um, but I've had some acceptance around it to understand it's a generational thing. And it's not only a generational thing, it's a cultural thing. You know, uh, I, I sat one day, and this is a real live experience. This happened last winter. I, I was in the gym, and I was changing, and it was two young men, uh, three, excuse me, three young men. Uh, one of them was definitely African-American or black and, or from some culture where his skin was much darker than mine. You know, I'm, I'm kind of like that golden brown color, right? Um, the other kid could have been Hispanic, but he might have been black as well. And the other kid looked like Opie Taylor, like the, the redhead freckles from that, you know, show that came out in the 50s. And he was dropping the N-word uh, if just as fast and just as quickly as the other kids were, and they were talking to each other. And I was confused. <laughs> I was so confused. And mm-hmm. then I said, okay, I guess that's just the way it is. It, I can't do anything about it. But what I did, but I did say something. I had to say something. And I said to them, I said, that man over there, that, the, the older gentleman who's standing over there on the other side of the locker room may be offended by your words. Mm. So let's be aware of who we're around. All right, fellas? That's all I said. Because the, the gentleman had to be at least in his late 60s, probably early 70s. And I know. Because mm. my dad's that age. They don't appreciate that. Not yeah. at all. Yeah. Well, mm. and it's like anything, right? It's kind of, I mean, when, when, there's, when people have rapport, they can call each other a name because there's rapport, there's deep trust and connection. That's right. So I can call you a nickname that if, we, if I don't have rapport with another person, they can't call me that nickname. That's right. That's right. And um, but it's also understanding that who's around me when I'm in that conversation that may be that may be offended because I don't have a connection to that other person. Like what you're talking about, this guy listening who potentially was listening in and and Mm -hmm. how I guess at the end of the day, it's how does that make the person feel and their experience um, Mm -hmm. as well? Um, It's just interesting to, to unpack this because I. I listen, you know, my son had last year had some uh, of his mates, his friends, mm-hmm. who uh, had potentially not had a lot of 
life experience in their family history and maybe they lived quite, um, you know, I don't know, disconnected from the world other than what they do. And, um, and, and Lucas would come home and share this little mate was using the N word mm-hmm. and um, was, was uh, he, and he, you know, he was sharing, I was like, Oh, do you think this, this friend might be a bit racist? And he goes, Oh no, I think he's just having fun. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, let's just reflect on this. And it was really interesting to watch Lucas kind of unpack that because mm-hmm. it, he because he had, this is my friend and I trust my friend and I don't want to make my friend wrong. And that's the piece. You know, as teenagers, we right. don't want to lean into, we don't want to be kicked out. We don't want to be um, suddenly a friend that, yeah. And I said, I wonder if it's a conversation that would allow him to understand something because I'm guessing he doesn't even know that he doesn't know this, right? And he's, he probably didn't spend... He, I'm sorry for interrupting, but I think yeah. it's important to know. You he go. Probably didn't, he probably didn't spend enough time on the dodgy side of town, right? <laughs> the dodgy side of town. That's right. I love it, Michael. <laughs> he, perhaps, but as it turns out, Lucas had the conversation with him and he actually didn't realise. He didn't realise. Yeah. And, and again, it's just these are the things. If we, don't, if we don't sort of have courage to talk to our friends or the people around us, even if they're good friends, long-time friends, we're not going to change our conversation if we don't kind of say, oh, um, you know, that. let's explore that that statement you've just made. I'm so curious about where that comes from. And, and look, I live in that world where I will lean into yeah. that with people. And I, That's right. and, and I still have nervousness and, and uncomfortableness. And so I imagine that a lot of people listening to this thinking, I'm not going to face that. Con- I'm not going to pull, <laughs> I'm not going to call someone out for that. I'm saying call it out with love and empathy, exactly like what you're saying. So that we can just have the conversation and we can start to be comfortable with what is really genuinely uncomfortable for so many people because it's change and change gives us this sense of like, you know, it's the old world, new world. And it is a new world now, Michael. And Absolutely. The, yeah. And the context of COVID, isn't it interesting that everything that occurred um, and I think of the pressure cooker, it's like the right elements of you know, the US in terms of the leadership piece and COVID right. and then suddenly, um, you know, and, and I'll say this, but, you know, the leader of the United States uses language that deliberately and whether he unconsciously or not, he divides and he's and when he divides in his language, he divides the thinking. And so even statements like, oh, um, MAGA aren't racist if if black people want to join the MAGA team they can like even that statement alone is like uh you're being racist like you you're actually telling us that every MAGA person's white but hey black ones you can join in um which isn't it's just the the piece that gets put out what his statements are it just gives people more permission to divide and yes, it does. So that, I agree 100%. Yeah. I agree 100%. So I just, I think that, you know, me wanting to connect with you and, and, and bring this conversation in was really is about having a start to really explore that conversation. And like me saying to you, like, I want to understand this piece. Do, do you want me to say black? Do I say African-American? Yes, and, I think it's important. And, I think it's important to have the courage to do that and show people that, that it's okay for you to do that and to even hear my response to it. Right. Or, yeah, or, yeah. or the fact that I'm even on the phone because on this on this podcast because i i know for me when i experience something you know if it's brand new it's scary anything yeah. new is scary um and when i've seen it and, I'm at, and if i can witness it or if i can be a, a part of someone else doing it someone can testify me that this to, to me that this works i may participate 
I think it's I think it's really important because I, I I know um, what you do. Like I know what you do. Um, I admire you, and um, I'm proud to say that not only do I know you, that I'm involved with uh, deeply with what you in, in with what you created, but I'm I'm part of your team, and I can call you my friend. But mm. what you've done, but what you've done, if you you you've given a lot of people permission to to dig deeper and 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 look and mm-hmm. ask and be present and to get involved and and that permission is with that methodology so so for so for me in in my in my peers my my fellow bounce trainers which i can't wait to get over there and meet them right mm-hmm. you you you've given us a, a some information we we might have had it before right but now you've put it all together and you've wanted it in one place and and one of the things is you said it earlier you said not making them wrong. And that's so important. I didn't realize how important that was as far as communicating is concerned. Mm. Not, making, not making someone wrong for their, for their thought processes, for, for their beliefs, and for their values, right? Mm. Uh, I was told a long time ago, I'm only, I'm only responsible for my actions, not my thoughts. I'm, re- I'm responsible for my actions. So if I'm doing something wrong, I'm, I'm, I may not, if someone's participating in some behavior that may not be acceptable, I don't have to agree with it, but I can still identify and, and, and have some empathy and some care um, when it comes to addressing your thoughts, your values, and your beliefs. Because as soon as I, I get on their side of the street, then it makes, that, it, it makes it that much easier for me to then share my story. Mm. And maybe then we can invoke some change. Uh, I, I think that's really important to be said before we get, you know, before this podcast is over, because I didn't know, I, I, I was always, I always came from this, <laughs> that's probably the way I was raised. I always came from the, side, from, from the understanding, like, like, that's wrong. Don't do it. Right. You're doing it wrong. Yeah, but I think it doesn't matter what you think. You're doing it wrong. You're behaving wrong. What you're doing is not right, right? Or I should say, you're behaving in a, in a, in a manner that's incorrect. Um, and I thought, I, I thought to myself, I would have had so much more progress because I had so much resentment when I was told that I was doing something wrong, or I was told that my behavior was unacceptable. And if it was brought to my attention with a little bit more love and care, I believe I would have responded differently. And I can see now why so many other people rebel. Because we're, 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 we're touching a part of them that's sensitive. And like you said, mm. like, or Brene Brown said, it, it comes from shame mm. and, and guilt. And we don't want to talk about it and it's uncomfortable. And I think it's really important to, to really emphasize that, that, you know, I'm not going to make you wrong for, the way, for what you believe. Now, I might not condone some of your actions, but what you believe, it's okay to believe that. And let's break, break down why yeah. you believe it that yeah. way, right? Yep. Love I, that. I, and I think, and I thank you for, I thank you for sharing that with me, man. I, I, you know, um, I, I share in class, you know, when we talk about values and beliefs, I bring this thing in. I do this thing about this chocolate chip cookie in this, in this, uh, in this oatmeal raisin cookie. And I, and I set it up and it's probably one of the things I can't tell you that I, that all the classes I've delivered have gone off without a hitch, but this one always goes off without a hitch. It gets everyone engaged. And I talk about this. Th- I, I get everyone envisioning that we're at a potluck dinner or a family you know, cookout or something and we have friends and families and co-workers just co-mingling and enjoying themselves and somebody brings and everyone's bringing a different dish and somebody brings cookies and they say hey come try my chocolate chip cookie and we figure out or at least some of us are sharing with each other in secret that that cookie is an oatmeal raisin cookie right and, and then this is 
this underlying and I go way more into depth because I get the whole room. I wait for the home to get mm-hmm. on board and, 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 and I can see people's brains and I can see them spinning. Right. And, and we're, we're whispering and some people are kind of whispering like, that's not a chocolate chip cookie. That's a, what's wrong with them. Right. And then I can hear people now engaging and it must be crazy to think it's a, like, cause they're thinking about this, right? Like it definitely has raisins in it and they're telling everyone it's a chocolate chip cookie. So then finally, Right. Finally, the person who brought brought that cookie in, by the way, we know them over a lot of people in the room knows them. You might have just been introduced to them that night or that day. But there's other people in the room that work with them and that know them intimately. And then they say, so they have the courage to finally say to this person, hey, listen, I hear people talking about your cookie. They keep saying it's an oatmeal raisin cookie, but you're identifying or calling it a chocolate chip cookie. Yeah, chocolate chip cookies are great. Have one. And then you see it and you're like, yeah, it is an oatmeal raisin cookie. Other people in the room, by the way. The person who brought the cookies are not the only person that thinks it's a chocolate chip cookie, by the way. There are other people in the room that believe it's a chocolate chip cookie as well. Just not like the masses. There's way more people that are identifying with that cookie being an oatmeal raisin cookie. So someone has the courage to say, why are you calling it a chocolate chip cookie? It clearly is an oatmeal raisin cookie. And the person says, what are you talking about? You, I'm, you're offending me. This is my grandmother's recipe. And then the light bulb starts to go off in the room. And then I, and I continue with it. My, my grandmother makes this cookie every Sunday after Sunday dinner. My cousins come over, my grandparents and my parents. And we were sitting down and I grew up with these cookies. And, that, and now you're telling me that I don't know what I'm doing with my cookie, right? And some people are being offend, getting offended. Some people saying it's gross. Other people are enjoying the cookie. But the point is, and the point, is but that's how that person grew up Hmm. it doesn't make them a bad person doesn't make them they're not hurting anyone they're just calling a cookie a chocolate chip cookie that everyone identifies with an oatmeal raisin cookie and that's when and i'm sharing it that way because it's the best way for me to get to get some people to understand to have some empathy around the way someone was raised Hmm. just because that person believes that i'm a threat because i'm black doesn't make them a bad person Hmm. It's just the way they were raised because someone told their parents that I was bad, that mm-hmm. I was a bad person because they saw it on TV. And because our president is addressing black people, telling us, what do you have to lose? Mm-hmm. Your schools are, in, you live in poverty. Half of you are unemployed. You're, you're killing each other. What do you have to lose? Mm-hmm. Come on my side. He's literally, mm-hmm. it's, it's, right? So, I don't know how much empathy I have for him, I have to be quite honest. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. I think, um, look, let's, let's look at the, look at the, the thing that we can see out of this, right? We're going to frame it in a way that what he has done because of what he's done, he has swung the pendulum and he has Mm -hmm. pushed beyond pushable and it's led people to uprise. It's led people to step up and stand up and make a declaration and have voices when they've never had voices. Mm-hmm. It, and it, if there's anything that you can say that he has done, it has been to give a voice like he would never have anticipated. So right. it's like, it's, it's a great metaphor of the darkness has absolutely mm-hmm. pushed the light out mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Um, and people that absolutely should be having a voice. You get to have a voice. You get to have the conversations that we can have, we should have been having. It's just right. now it's topical. Now it's in our, it's in front of us. 
I can't switch off the channel because it's on my social media. It's in every news feed. It's in every article. It's on the top of everyone's conversations. We are now talking about something that should have been spoken about years ago. And Maria, I, I think it's, if I don't get to say another thing, right, I think it's really important, especially when we're talking about this specific topic, because listen, there's a lot of other things out there that need to be addressed, and yeah. I'm willing to help with those things as well, right? Yeah. But when we're talking about this topic, all right, um, I, me, right, and my daughter and everyone in my family, because I'm African-American or Black, right, and, and my other friends that are Hispanic, all the Black and Brown people that I know, we need allies, mm. right? We need allies. And I'm not saying that other groups don't need allies either, but it's important to know that they that the allies that we need, have, it has to be someone with the loudest voice. Now, I can tell you, I got a big mouth. I've been rambling. I got loud several times. I'm pretty loud. I'm pretty loud. But the loudest voice is another white man mm. who is saying this, is, is, a, is another white man, but a white man, right? Mm. Who is saying the same things that I'm saying, mm. right? Who is, who is buying in and saying, hey, you might want to listen to Michael. Yeah. Matter of fact, you might want to li listen to Maria as well because we need allies and those are the, pe and those are the people with the loudest voices mm. because they're the ones who put the, because white men are the ones who put the ball in motion. And I'm not blaming the current white men that are on this planet for, for all the ills of the world. I'm just simply saying, like just, from my experience, the most powerful person on the planet is a man and he's white and that's the way it's just been throughout my entire life mm. right and if i can get yeah. that man on my side right to say some of the things that i'm saying then somebody else might listen and we need more and we need more hours more, yeah i love that and and michael i'm gonna wrap it up there because this first of all has broken the record for the longest podcast that we've had on the way <laughs> um I'm i kind of my wife <laughs> i kind of knew that i kind of knew that yeah <laughs> Um, and so I just, I actually, I want to leave on that note of, of um, you being the loudest voice, but also for any people out there, you know, that, that want to engage more, understand more, be courageous, get uncomfortable with it, choose unstuck. You know, that's my big thing is like, we're, we're in a sticky situation. We can choose to unstuck from it. That's totally incorrect grammar, but you know, get what I'm saying. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah, I we're okay. It. We can roll with it. Right. But it is that I'm going to make a choice and I'm going to find a way to move into these conversations. And, um, and I get it. I totally get for white men and white women where this might be. And, but also for black people, like your journey in terms of like, Oh, African-American and black, like it, we've got to be careful to not generalize in this space as well. And, mm -hmm. and understand for me, it's all about the individual. Everyone is so unique and different. What does this person in front of me want? Let me understand that and not make a generalization that this, this other person wants that because that person wants that. Um, so Thank you so much, Michael. I um, I am so grateful and I'm so grateful I met you. Um, you are an inspiration and I'm getting emotional because I just, I just think you're so incredible for the work that you're doing. And I am, bl I'm blessed that you came to Bounce, that you found us um, and that we're continuing to do great work together and that you are absolutely shaking it up and making a change and making a difference. And thank you. I'm so humbled, Maria, and I feel exactly the same way you do, if not times 10. I believe that you have put me on a different trajectory in life, and um, I'm, I'm, my world has been flipped upside down. I'm so grateful to be a part of this process. 
uh, words, I just would start rambling. There's nothing else that I can say, but the gratitude is through the roof. It really is. Thank you. Thank you, Maria. Thank you. And everyone, our listeners, thank you so much for listening in. And, um, you know, remember the Wayfinders, we're here to help you help others find their way. And sometimes this is about helping yourself find your way through challenging, different, difficult, interesting topics. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's Wayfinder podcast, helping you help others find their way.